Hi, welcome to the 2011 Region 2 Convention. My name is Ruth. I'm a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. This is the panel Coming to Believe, Step 2. Please help us preserve our cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any of our meeting rooms. Will anyone who cares to please join me in the serenity period? Grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The title of this panel is Coming to Believe. The format for this session is a reading from our literature, three speakers, and questions from the Ask It baskets. As the speakers are sharing, we will pass around the basket with papers and pencils for you to write any questions you may have. Please specify if you are directing your question to a specific speaker. Please be sure to keep the basket moving so it goes around multiple times, even if you've already passed it. As speakers continue to share, members may think of questions they did not have when the basket first came by them. The following is a selection from pages 13 and 14 of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. How we who are not believers in God came to believe in the higher power. It usually started as we sat in an OA meeting and experienced the camaraderie of our fellow compulsive overeaters. Here were people who understood us and cared about us. We could be completely honest about ourselves and still be accepted unconditionally. The acceptance grew into love, carrying with it a power that seemed to stay with us as we left our OA meetings. It was not too great a leap of faith to believe that this shared love was a power greater than ourselves that could lead us to sanity. The love of the group then became our higher power. For the first time ever, we felt the relief of not having to face our problems alone. This relationship was a higher power in which we could believe. Our first speaker is Diana from San Diego, and she will speak for 12 minutes. Good morning. I'm Diana, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Diana. And um, to me, the 12, are, the 12 steps are, are the foundation of my program. And the second step is, has been a really interesting journey for me. Um, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I heard it said that the beginning of that step is came, showed up, put ourselves here, um, came to, meaning left the fog of all the extra food, and came to believe is a process about finding our higher power. And um, in terms of sanity, I think that it's um, very important to look at that word and to define it for ourselves. And I used to think that insanity had to do with mental illness and waving your arms around on the street and that type of thing. And um, I learned that um, it involves different behaviors that we did, often in secret, so that nobody else would know how crazy we were. And uh, one of the things I did was eat a lot at night. I diet compulsively during the day. And then I think some of it, I was just hungry. You know, I was just hungry at night. I'd restrict it all day, and then all hell would break loose. I'd start with an apple, then I'd grab a handful of this and a handful of that, wake up, hate myself, 
and go through the same cycle day after day after day. And um, so the coming to believe, I believe, is really about listening, showing up to meetings and just listening to see what other higher powers are out there. And it says in the OA 12 and 12 about looking at our, our higher power and defining it for what we want it to be, what we need from a higher power. Um, in, when I was working the second step with my sponsor, she recommended I do a job description and for my higher power, and that was kind of fun. You know, I talked about him being here 24-7, um, very supportive, unconditional love, and uh, when I picture my higher power with the palms out and me sitting in the palm of his hand, it's very helpful when I'm feeling in trouble and I'm feeling really uncomfortable in situations. And uh, so this, this step, I think, should be dissected and should have these definitions in it before we can really go further with it. And I found a lot of good stuff in the step two of um, OA 12 and 12. And it really explains different parts of this. And um, I just feel that the steps are, like I've heard, the steps are ordered in the, they're numbered in the order they should be. And first we have to realize that we're compulsive eaters and could not manage our lives. And that led into the whole sanity business. And um, I just feel like if we stop and, and really make lists, you know, do a lot of writing. That's what's helped me on the second step, to really do a lot of writing and find out what were my insanities. One of my insanities was eating in secret. Uh, my main insanity was restricting my food and counting calories obsessively. I gained and lost 40 pounds out of high school, and I've been abstinent for 21 years. And I have fluctuated about 15 pounds in my weight, um, and my abstinence has evolved. I now have a binge list, and it's been really helpful. The first 16 years, I didn't feel like I needed a binge list. Things were working quite well. And then I'd start to get carried away with certain foods. And again, that's the insanity. You know, I'd be sitting there having lunch with somebody, and I was worried about her finishing her French fries, you know. <laughs> and um, do you want those all, or can I help you finish your plate? God knows we don't waste food, you know. And um, so that was very interesting to see how my head worked. And that's the thing about recovery is so much of it is up here. You know, we do look at our, at our physical body. And that's why I love the new tool of plan of action, because we can incorporate exercise in it. And it just really helps me to get a balanced life. Um, and so it's just very important that we look at these steps in different ways. And I've been in a step study for several years now, and um, I find it very interesting to take it apart, you know, just take it apart word by word and see what this all means. And I believe, too, that in the evolution of our recovery and in the progression of our disease, these words take on different meanings, different meanings. And um, we have to look at that and see what's going on in our life. What are the stressors, be it our job, our marriage, our physical recovery, 
um, emotions that have gotten kind of out of hand. And we look at that and see, and that's where we talk to our sponsors and ask for being restored to sanity. You know, God, please help me identify what areas I'm having difficulty with and then help restore me to align me with your will. And um, that restoration is just very helpful to being able to clear our heads of the fog and really work those steps. And um, I think it's very important to seek a sponsor about this. And, um, you know, our sponsor may encourage us to write a little further. It's like, you know, I'm seeing to this day, they may say, even in your recovery, I'm still seeing some insanity around your food choices. And they can point that out, and then we can elaborate that with more writing about it. And um, the came to believe, um, I think that sponsors can also say, you know, you're still not fleshing out this part of your recovery. You're still having trouble and wanting to do this all by yourself. And so God is uh, very helpful that way in conjunction with sponsors to help see that and to know what areas we need to improve on through God's help. And um, I like the alignment with his will. I always say, you know, I can be over here, and that's my insanity. And God will align me with his will. And so I'll be straight on with God. And I wish I could say I do that all the time, but I don't. Um, But when I get crazy in my head, I can remind myself what has worked in the past. And I think before we come to a spiritual part of God, for those who haven't had much religious training or spiritual life prior to the program, I think we can get it through the group, through hearing other people talk about how they have arrived at a higher power, and then saying, I like that, I'm going to use that. And then we can adjust it as the years go by. You know, there may be um, crises that come up, and we can see how we can handle that. Other people may give us feedback and say, well, when my dad died, it really helped me to pray, and uh, this is what I said to God. And um, that's just very helpful. And um, so, um, let's see. It's just very important, I think, that we um, continue to work these steps. And if you have access to a step study, I really encourage that. Um, It's really opened my eyes. And um, so I'm just very grateful for all the program. And um, I just really feel like most of the time I've been restored to sanity. And there are days in recovery where I just feel kind of nuts. But I'm able to use the tools. I'm able to use the steps to get that serenity and that sanity back in my head. And um, so that's been very helpful to me. And uh, just the friendships I've developed through this program. And to be able to pick up the phone and say, you know, I'm really feeling insane about this. And to be able to cry and get that out with friends who have hurt the same way. And then for them to turn around and share their experience, strength, and hope. And um, with my higher power speaking through the other people in recovery, I find that um, on sponsoring any given day, my sponsees will sponsor me. 
And that's the beauty because when it comes right down to it, we're just all compulsive eaters. And we're all trying to get our sanity back so that we can better work with others. And um, that's another thing I find when I'm feeling really insane is I need to step out of myself and call a newcomer. Call a newcomer. And it just really helps me because then I can help them. And then I see my usefulness and the strength of my program instead of the strength of the disease coming back in and trying to rear its ugly head. And um, so there are just many ways to gain that sanity back and to um, allow a higher power to help. And the, way I, the ways I get in touch with my higher power, a lot of it is through nature, taking walks and seeing the beautiful flowers and the beautiful water. And um, I was raised in a strict religion, and so my mom would teach me how to pray, and that helped a lot. Um, but also I had negatives surrounding that, and I was afraid of God, and I didn't think he had time for my food and time for different minor details throughout the day. But now I find I have an ongoing dialogue with him. I wish I could say that I sit and meditate, lotus style in the morning, but I've never been able, first of all, I've never been limber enough to do that. And secondly, I'm just not disciplined. But for those of you who want that, they say it only takes five, ten minutes. You know, you just get still. You could light a candle, um, put on some music, and it just soothes. And then you can just talk. I've done gratitude journals where I talk to God. I'll say please and thank you. And um, at the end, I always say amen. You know, it's just it becomes a prayer on paper. So there are just many different ways to connect with my higher power. And I'm just very grateful. And thank you all for coming for this weekend. And thank you all for being here in this room today. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Diane. Our next speaker is Tom L. Excuse me. I have to look at my crib sheet from Orange County, and Tom will speak for 12 minutes. Thank you, Ruth. I'm Tom, a compulsive reader. Thanks for coming out this morning. Um, I want to say too much. Uh, this subject is too important, uh, so I'll just stick with my story. Uh, I was raised in New York in a, uh, a loving, caring home, but uh, atheist. Uh, proudly so. Uh, my dad's a communist um, since the 50s, has sacrificed a lot for his, his philosophy, and one of them was there. We live in an absolute material world. We're here by accident. Uh, you know, there's no spiritual power. There is right and wrong. He believed in that. And I, I, I was brought up with a strong sense of right and wrong. <clears throat> but uh, it's, I have to do everything myself. Uh, trouble was, he didn't know, and my family didn't know, I certainly didn't know, that I was an addict. Uh, I've uh, been a fat kid since about age seven, and isolated, uh, extremely sensitive. Um, I think I lost my last friend uh, in junior high school because I was just too jealous of them. Um, they could never meet my needs, and what could was uh, television and food. And uh, turns out that was my higher power for many years. I worshipped um, consistently at that throne for uh, 
until my mid-30s. Um, and by the time I got to Overeaters Anonymous, I was uh, well over 400 pounds on disability and had been isolated for many years. Um, and I thought, I knew I was insane when I, when I came across that step, you know, came to, came to believe a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. I had no question about that. In fact, it wasn't really the weight that, that um, was bothering me. I mean, I, I weighed 450, but I can carry it. And I'm a young man at that time, younger. <clears throat> um, but it was the strange things that I did and thought that I knew separated me from everyone else. Um, I lived completely in a fantasy world. Um, I would listen to, to radio, you know, for five hours in the morning, and then I'd get on the Internet, and the clock didn't matter to me. I was completely out of my mind. When my dad came over to visit me, if I let him in the door, um, I could see the shock in his eyes to how I was living in an apartment, the, the situation I was living in. So when I came into OA, which is a miracle, I should not have gotten here because the idea that other people would help me, I've, I've gone to shrinks all my life. You know, it's, these are paid professionals. I've, gone to, I've done diets. I've, I've done meditation, martial arts, exercise, careers, girlfriends, motorcycles. I mean, I've, <laughs> television and food. That's what really hits my heart. So I came into OA uh, and... I, I got the feeling I got right now, which is I'm a little comfortable. I'm a little comfortable with people. I'm usually extremely uncomfortable with people because I imagine you're judging me. And then uh, there was a guy who was very charismatic and he was going to around a lot of meetings. He used to be 500 pounds and he was a normal weight and he had a family. And he, he welcomed me into Overeaters Anonymous. And he talked about life as it's lived, that we live it as compulsive readers. Now, you don't have to be exceedingly heavy to live that life. I've heard it described this morning. We have a secret life. Mine just encompassed 24 hours, you know, um, that we can't share. And yet he shared it to me. The way he talked about living, um, I asked him to be my sponsor. And uh, he did the most important thing that any of us can do with any other compulsive overeater. He introduced me to the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Because that talks, besides the alcohol problem, it talks about the spiritual malady. And as an atheist, that, those words don't even make sense. But this guy was not, he was not a Christian. He was not brought up, as I know, in any particular religion. He was uh, very practical about, about his, uh, his worship of a higher power. And it involved action. A lot of action because I saw him. He drive around the meetings. He was in a couple different programs. He sponsored a bunch of guys, and in the morning he would we'd wake him up. You know, I called at nine o'clock, I and mean, he I gave me ten minutes of his time. And from nine to ten, he'd just take a call after call after call, and this impressed me that he was you know he was already thin. Why would he why would he bother with anything? It's because he talked about the insanity, and I I've been thin before. And there's no help there. Being abstinent is not a cure for what I've got. Being thin is not a cure. Having a job, having a girlfriend, having money, it, it doesn't scratch that itch. So he said, we have a solution upon which we can agree, a bunch of us, and I was with a bunch of people, that puts us in touch with a power greater than ourselves that can solve our problem. And I had problems, all kinds of problems. So the coming to believe part of it for me was watching these guys operate. 
these guys had been horrendous drunks, addicts, alcoholics, and compulsive overeaters, sometimes all four. <clears throat> um, three. And they were... Uh, and they were living good lives, and yet I could see they were living with pain, with continued problems. And um, this talk about higher power, I, at, at one point I just gave up. I was sitting in my mom's apartment because I was living with my mom. If you lose weight, if you're on disability and you lose weight, they kick you off after three years and you have to get a job. Don't, don't do that. You know, whatever you do, <laughs> stick with the free money. I... So I, I had lost my disability, and I was sitting, and I was, I can't get a job because even if I'm, even if I'm, I lost a lot of weight in OA, I can't, I can't function around people. I can't. I'm too self-conscious. I'm thinking of myself all the time. So I sat there and I said, "Okay, God, come into my mind and change stuff around so that I can possibly believe in you, because I can't even believe in you." Now, it is strange. Um, hey, Jack. Uh, I had started praying before I got to OA, and it was, it was the weirdest thing. I don't know where it came from. It was organic. I was, uh, I was you know, living on a, in, a, in a really horrendous situation. I was just praying, God, kill me before I wake up. That, that was a heartfelt prayer. I don't want to deal with this life anymore. Um, so when I started praying, as my, my sponsor instructed me to, he gave me a, a, few, a few prayers. At least I said, well, I have prayed before. And his, his second prayer, to, well, that, this, the prayer he gave me was, uh, God, please remove, me, remove from me this obsession. Remove this obsession. Remove this obsession. Because I was walking around wanting to eat really bad. I got a job at, uh, at a coffee shop, kind of like Starbucks. Um, it was the only job I could function as minimum wage. I was still very heavy, and I was surrounded by the stuff that's at Starbucks. And I was just going, God, please remove this session. Please, I don't have the power to do it because I had broken my diets a thousand times. And I got a sense of peace, just like I have in this room. And I was coming to believe. There was a, a sense of, um, it was just that, that feeling. It came to believe that I can, be, I can be comfortable without excessive carbohydrates, without isolation, uh, without... Um, without some kind of obsession. Because even when I was, even when I could put this food aside, because I, I want to live a good life. You know, I want I want a success. I want to be, you know, thought of well. And I'd, I'd have to put the food down and I'd have to charge after it. And if I didn't, was, if I didn't follow something obsessively, I would fall. And I knew I just I had to hold on with everything I had. Um, and this was the first time in Overeaters Anonymous, following the directions in the big book, as described by these lunatics I was following, <laughs> I could have peace, and this peace is not of me, because I've, I've, I've been with myself all the time since I was a kid, and there ain't no peace there. There is, there is judgment, both of me and of you. Uh, there is uh, terrible fears. Um, I, I didn't even describe it as loneliness, because I, I, can't, I don't enjoy being around other people, so how could I be lonely? Well, guess what? You feel lonely anyway. It's, it's a loneliness. It's being not where you're supposed to be. And I knew that all my life. I was not supposed to be here. I have nowhere else to go, but this is the best I can do, but I'm, I'm lost. And when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, you, 
you connected me to the power of the group. And uh, in OA, we share our weaknesses. I can't, I once moved in with a guy in OA. I moved out from my mom's house and I was making a little money and going to a lot of meetings. And uh, I moved in with this guy and on the outside, he was respectable. You know, he was a, you know, a Marine. He was got a good job at, with, the, with the government. Uh, he was, you know, good looking. Um, you know, he had a lot of experience where I didn't, where I'd been very shy. He had a lot of social experience. But he would share with me the most horrendous things, things that separated him from other people, where he felt like a freak um, or he, he got to that place of, of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. And I would go, you know, he's dealing with the same thing I deal with. And this guy, six foot three, ex-marine, would get on his knees and pray. Now, he was a Christian, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stomach that at the time. But uh, um, he, didn't, he wasn't trying to convert me. And we were just going through, in my book study, I highly recommend big book studies. Um, we were going through Bill's story, and, and Bill W. had had horrendous alcoholism for several years, living off his wife, as I lived off my mom. Couldn't leave the house. Um, he was writing insane letters to the president, you know, because he wanted to run the world. Absolutely nuts. And his crazy friend, Ebby, showed up. And Ebby was worse than him. And yet he was sober. He was clean. He was shaved. I'm sure he was wearing a nice suit. And, uh, and he was saying, how you doing, Bill? He said, here, have a drink. We'll do better, you know. And he, and he said he did no ranting. In 08, we don't rant about God. He shared in a simple way about how he had been taken out of a, a jail situation where he's going to be locked up and uh, how these guys taught him a few simple religious ideas. I can imagine Bill going, you know, oh, my God, religious crackpot. But he was just saying, and I got sober two months ago and I'm sober today. You know, um, would you like our help? And that is that, that's an approach that uh, that touched my heart. Because the, the guys that I was dealing with are selfish guys. The guys who were helping me, their stories are not one of like, uh, you know, sainthood. They're not going around looking for people to help. They're looking to rip people off. As If I had the guts, I would have done the same thing. I was just sponging off of whoever would give me money. But uh, And these guys were like, because they were under a death sentence, they were trying to help me. And sometimes when I'm helping my sponsees and I don't feel the love, you know, I'm not really caring about their, their, their spiritual development. I need to do it because it's 12 minutes. Okay, so i got to quit. Um, I need to do it because I need to stay alive. And when I can stay alive, after I take the action, then I can feel a little love. And uh, the love and peace go very well, kind of like chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just over five years abstinent. Uh, I'm married. I've been employed for over four years the same job. I don't call in sick like I always did. I'm not drinking heavily like I was before. I'm not on psychiatric medications like I was before. Uh, I'm not putting my family through hell. And it all came from these guys showing me that there is another way that really works. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you so much. Our final speaker is Seppi from L.A. She'll speak for 12 minutes, and I just want to remind people to keep the Ask It basket going as we speak. Oh, God bless you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Seppi, compulsive overeater. Hi, Seppi. Hi. 
It's so interesting. Um, you've, you're going to hear three very, very different stories. I just listened to you two, and my upbringing couldn't have been more different. Yet the spiritual malady is identical, and uh, quite clearly the solution is identical as well. So I love that. I love that. And it's just every day. It's, a, it's, a, it's an adventure. Um, I've been um, 24 years abstinent. Um, my came to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. Uh, I love the fact that it says a power greater than myself. I was not raised religiously or as a communist, but the feeling, <laughs> but but um, the the what I, my I thought there is a God. I was raised with a sense of right and wrong, kindness and not. But religion is for the uneducated masses. It's just a crutch that people who are not smart enough use. Um, the, it was very important that this step says power greater than myself. And I could not, palate, I could not stomach the word God for the very first few years. Um, and I worked this to step two. It's, it's a crucial step for me. I did not really take step one the way I did it till I went through step two. And I did it with the AA 12 and 12. And the, the part that got my attention was the belligerent one. No, no, not the belligerent. The one that has looks, I'm sorry, the one that looks at scientific data. I try, I'm from a family of doctors. I'm in technology. I'm linear. I'm, I'm all about science. So, that part, that paragraph that says we have to look at the data. And all of a sudden I realized, holy crap, I'm, everything I've accused religious people of being, I'm guilty of, of summarily dismissing this thing. Now, all I wanted to do was to not be fat. I don't care about having peace. I don't care about having serenity. I don't care about anything. I just didn't want my thighs to rub against each other. So, finding out that I was actually, you know, that I was insane, that my life had become unmanageable, it kind of, it was after the fact, after I got off the roller coaster, that I realized, oh my God, maybe, maybe I wasn't playing with a full deck there. Um, and I was high-functioning. You know, I, my highest weight is 50 pounds more, no, 50 pounds more than now. I've also been 30 pounds less than now. Uh, so, and that's quite a range. And I have always been a good daughter, a good student, quite um, popular ballerina, athlete, straight-A student, great employee. But... The minute I was away from people, and I'm very loved, and I have a lot of friends, and I'm, you know, a social butterfly, but I, too, just leave me alone. It's my time to get together with my food, with my magazine, and with my TV. It's a troika. And to this day, 24 years later, this is how I relax. Except for instead of it being two bear claws, it's a bowl of sugar-free jello. But I got, you know, fundamentally, the same food still makes me happy. You know, I'm sorry to say that. So um, it's still, it's, I still love it. But the part in the 12 and 12 that said, you know, we have to look at the data. And, the, and I'm like, oh, wow, okay. 
If I really want to use, remove the prejudice, I have to say that this is an organization that clearly has helped people with chemical dependencies. I, I knew and I trusted AA. I don't know how. I didn't know any alcoholics at that time. Or I, but I knew that it was a valid thing. So I have to say maybe there's something to this thing. What was difficult for me to believe that was that the same thing would apply to food. Something about food was very pedestrian. I couldn't take it seriously enough, you know. I understand you are addicted to heroin. I understand alcohol. Those things chemically alter your body. But, you know, I'm just a pig. I just love, you know, how, how the hell are these two the same? So, okay, I have to be open. And then there's another part in, in step two in AA that says, um, there's a guy that's talking to his sponsor, and the sponsor says, you don't have to, you don't have to believe the whole thing. Here's a big hole. You just have to jump through it. I'm sorry. I'm totally butchering this. But something about the fact that you have to be just a little willing. And I remember um, when I came to OA and I started defining my abstinence, and I have to tell you, my food, the only thing I care about is sweets. It's, I'm not about bread, pasta, steak, anything. I just love sweets. So I started my, the definition of my abstinence, 24 years ago was no refined sugar, which at that time kind of really narrowed the scope because there were very few things, sugar-free things. And I always say this. Um, four days into this, beginning of this abstinence, I went to um, Vaughn's. I lived in West Hollywood. And it hit. You know, the it that usually, up until that point, I was doomed to act on, it hit. I want a chocolate. And I went through the through the uh, aisle, and I said, okay, I really think this is a crock of shit, but I'm going to act as if, you know, I have to remove the prejudice. Okay, God, if there is a you, you got to help me not buy the M&Ms, because I'm going to get it. And, you know, 45 minutes, people, I walked up and down that aisle, kept putting the frigging thing in my, in, in my tray and taking it out, putting it in and taking it out. The bottom line is I walked away from Vons without buying that chocolate. And it's exactly what, the, what 12 and 12 says. You have to be willing just a little. And that's been my story for 24 years. It started with just a little. And then when I realized, oh, my God, there is a possibility that something, and that, that I'm not doomed to, be, to repeat this behavior all the time. Then I started saying, I really don't think you're there. I think this is all cockamamie, but I'm willing to ask you to help me, whatever you are. And then over time, I started, you know, all the evidence started, rack, you know, stacking up. And then it would, then I have to, again, look at the data, and I'd have to be completely ignorant or, um, I, I would have to just say in, in light of all of these things that have lined up for me, all of these things that in the past, in spite of my best effort, I had gained weight, I had screwed up here, I had damaged things, I had to say something other than me is in charge. And another thing about, um, and then, then it gets easier. Then, of course, like anything else, the more, the more you focus on bringing this higher power, and eventually I started calling it God. Um, the more I started relying on it, the more, um, the easier things got, the better things worked out. And today, 24 years later, my only challenge is not that I don't know that I can be restored to sanity, is to recognize when I'm insane. And that gene 
doesn't change. I don't care how long you have in the program. The only thing I know for sure for 24 years is as it relates to my life, I am constitutionally incapable of understanding things and seeing them clearly. So it's a given, you know, I always say this, it's a given I have frizzy hair. doesn't matter if I wake up and blow it dry. It's a given I will, I'm a selfish and self-centered bastard. I will never interpret a situation clearly. This is just me I'm talking about. Um, and I will always need someone else to do it for me. And this is another part of step two, which is very important. And it was very hard for me to believe in the beginning that it applied to me. Step two specifically talks about defiance. And I said, well, I'm just the nicest, sweetest person. <laughs> I, there's nothing defiant. I defer to authority. You tell me to do that. You know, I'm, I'm a good girl. How could I be defiant? Well, guess what? If you eat 5,000 calories and want to weigh 100 pounds, you're defiant. <laughs> I think the laws of nature must not apply to me. I need an exemption. So this is how I'm defiant. I just want to pass. To this day, I, if I could eat and not gain, well, no, I probably wouldn't. I think maybe now I wouldn't. Yeah, no, I probably wouldn't because it's, I, you know, and I, I just know that I, I, I would just feel itchy knowing what I'm doing. But defiance is the number one characteristic of all addicts. And it, I think it's very hard for us to believe it because we're such people pleasers and we, we're like such good people and, you know, we don't break bar stools and we don't, you know, get into fist fights. And, but, thank you, but it very much is a part of my makeup still. I want, I want, I want, I want. And I should be different. Everything that applies to me ought to be different. And thank you for what you said. I'm like those Marines. I'm like those people that I'm not doing this because I'm trying to be a good person. I'm doing this because I, too, am under a death sentence, a different kind of death sentence, That, but I will undoubtedly kill myself. I'm not going to wait for my organs to fail from being overweight. I will kill myself if I descend into that hell again, and I will do anything I have to do. Um, and going back to step two, Truly, honestly, this was the most important step for me because it's only after I saw, my God, what blinders I have on, and this is so much about me. But then I started to be able to say, well, maybe my life really was unmanageable. All I knew was that I was fat. And then, you know, with two, I backed my way into one, and then from then on, the rest was a lot easier. But... Um, I feel very passionately about this program, but step, it, it's, I really feel passionately about this program, and it's, I think food is extremely cunning, baffling, and powerful because it's so comforting, and it's so sneaky, and it's so, um, I don't know, there's something about alcohol that is so much more in your face. There's so much, something about the alcoholic behavior that is so in your face, and we just come off. I should speak about myself. I just come up, came off as just really good intentioned and really sweet and really accommodating, and I just had a little eating problem. And there is nothing, there's nothing that is different about my problem, my makeup, and my motivation 
than Bill W. and every other alcoholic that you see, um, you know, walking down the street, peeing in a corner. There but for the grace of God go I. And I've never forgotten that, and I'm so grateful. And we, um, and I just want, I, I'm sorry, I always also say this. We have a problem. We have a terminal disease. If you spoke with someone who has a terminal cancer and you told them there is a solution, they do whatever the hell you told them to do. So please do whatever the hell they tell you to do in this program. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a wonderful way to start my day. God, step two. Um, I need to find the ask. Oh, Barb's going to bring the ask a basket. And thank you for volunteering to time. I really, really appreciate it. Okay. And the first question is, in absence, have you applied step two to other areas of your life? And if so, how? Somebody like to volunteer for that one? is being willing to accept. I, I apply it at work all the time. Um, I am willing to believe. I have to make myself be willing to believe that when somebody in my team gets recognition and I don't, that it's not about me. It's not taking away. I mean, I have to be willing to accept that something better than someone else knows what's going on here. I'm telling you, defiance, and wanting things my way hasn't changed. It doesn't matter that it's 24 years later. So, of course, yes, I still want things my way. I want, I want, I want, I want. So every day I have to say, God, I'm willing to. I mean, it, it goes from two and, two and three because first you have to be willing to believe that it, your way is not the best way. And then immediately something has to back you up to catch you. So two and three go hand in hand. But I don't think I can... You know, you don't do it once and walk away from it. It's a part of my life. Thank you. Going from a general sense of God to a personal God, how? If God isn't a singular thing or entity, how can it be a personal God? Uh. Well, in my case, I went from no spiritual God other than the food to a uh, a highly particular and well-defined higher power that uh, if you want to share with me, I'll share with you after after a uh, outside of a 12-step room. Uh, but for a while, I could get by with the group. Uh, for a while, I could trust my sponsor with my life because I was I needed help and he seemed to have something going on. Um, but I began to, things started happening. First of all, when you stop overeating, there's a lot of time. <laughs> a day is very long. And for a few seconds every day, something was tapping on my shoulder. And I'm not so, you know, that could be anything. Um, but I, I began to get regular doses of, hey, listen to this station. Read this book. Remember, and also something, some people from the podium would talk about their higher power, and I go, 
I, I got to read that. And so I start, and of course I'm, I'm a nerd. I'm, I'm highly intellectual because that's all you got to do if you got books and no people. <clears throat> so I delved into this and delved into that. And um, once again, I followed that, that, that stream of peace, you know, that feeling of, you know, ah, you know, I'm, it's not a challenge. I'm not being whipped. I'm just, this, here's some refuge. Uh, and I stayed absent long enough because I've relapsed in this program and crashed and burned. And my, I've had that big book sitting on my table collecting dust for, you know, a year as I gained weight. I have no spiritual hunger when I'm eating. But when, I, when I'm absent, um, my higher power is patient and works with me uh, and has become extremely personal to me, um, closer than my, even my wife or, or my family. Um, and I, I, well, it came to talking, you know, hey, God, this is what's going on, making a gratitude list. Thank you for these 18,000 things that I wouldn't have had. And I hear silence. I don't hear a voice, but then I hear, you know, go here. You know, let's talk to this guy. Uh, follow this path. And I'm, that path is, is continuing on now. It's, it's extremely interesting. <clears throat> I'm not bored with recovery. Uh, sometimes you take the pain of craziness, uh, for the, it's a price you pay for this amazing journey. Thank you. I'm really struggling with step two. It's scary to know you are powerless and that the solution is a higher power, yet you don't believe. How do you come to believe? What, are, what were your tools? that uh, coming to believe is a process and um, I've heard several people who have had a really tough time with step two and um, the insanity comes and goes and um, I think a lot of the way I've gotten in touch with my higher power and redefined it is through going to a lot of meetings. I hear a lot of people talk about it um, and I choose this part of it and that part of it. They say, take what you like and leave the rest. And that's very helpful for me. And I write it down. And I refer to that often. And then I can cross off certain parts of that and add certain parts to be able to better define what works for me. Um, it's just like abstinence. It's a very individual thing. What is your abstinence is not my abstinence. We can get ideas from it, um, but it's not going to look exactly the same. And um, so I think our higher power is just something we need to latch on to. Um, it can start as simply as the group. It can start with, you know, I've heard that people will adopt their dog as their higher power until it ate their sandwich, and then they decided, nah, that doesn't work anymore. So um, I just think that uh, there are many, many ways to work this program and calling our sponsors, calling other people, and asking this very question is helpful. So thank you. I'd like you to help me thank our speakers once again. Thank you so much. And I'd like those who wish to join us all in saying the prayer I put my hand in yours.